0: Thank you so much for tuning in to Encounter AZ's podcast. We are believing that God is going to use this ministry to change your life. Now enjoy the message. Hey, this morning, I'm excited you're here with us. And and I'm also excited that um, the Holy Spirit spoke to Josh and told him that today is the day to wear red plaid. It's the anointing. And uh, if you're not wearing red plaid this morning, I question if you're hearing from the Lord. Okay, so I'm just kidding. But Pastor Josh, he... uh... He's, him and his wife are a blessing to our worship team and to our church. They're our associate pastors. And, and Pastor Josh, his, his, uh, his heart is for going after Jesus and pursuing. That's our word for 2018, if you're newer to our church, is pursuit. And that's Josh's heart. And, and I've been doing this series on prayer, and I knew I wasn't going to get out of this series without letting Josh uh, share his heart about prayer and, and where the Holy Spirit's been leading us in that direction. So Pastor Josh, would you come and share the word for us? Give him an encounter welcome, will you? Amen. I'm not cool like Brent where I can have the pulpit in the back. I put it in front because that's what normal people do. Um, God is so amazing. And this has been in a a kind of a crazy uh, series. Earth to heaven. Um, It went from prayer to Brent jumping into these things like our beliefs and who we are and and it really began to stir me. And we already talked about me talking on this as the last last one last week. And I was like, yeah, I'll talk about prayer. I love prayer. I wish more people would pray. And I'll talk about it. And then uh, I wrote a message that's not about prayer. <laughs> but it is about this. Um, I want to honor Pastor Brent and Jen and the leaders of the church here and everyone who's here. I thank you guys for... Your pursuit, your heart, uh, it's amazing. And um, can you guys just bow your heads with me? And we're just going to pray real quick. Um, As Brent said, this isn't about me. This isn't about us. This is about him. So Holy Spirit, I step out the way so you can come in. Lord, I ask that you take over even right now and you take over my words and and you just begin to just let let your wisdom and your power and your love begin to just pour out. Lord, I step out the way that you can step in, Lord. Lord, I loved what Brent said last week. God, Lord, we don't make room for you to move. We give you the room. Lord, we give it to you. God that that your heart be made known to us and and Lord may today be some paradigm shifts Lord within us all of us some paradigm shifts God that we begin to see you rightly and we begin to look to you rightly God so Lord I I, I submit myself that I may be lower that you may be lifted high today Lord I submit my, my, my words Lord that anything that's not of you let it fall to deaf ear and on the ground but everything of you God you lift it up because it's your word Lord I submit myself God that I'm not here to please people but I'm here to please you Lord give me that boldness and that courage that I can humbly do that out of love In Jesus' name. Lord, break in right now. Whatever's going on in heaven, Lord, may we join you. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Jesus, Jesus. For the last two weeks, uh, Brent has been jumping on this thing of, of kind of like, who you are, like, who is it? in identity? I don't know if you guys remember the powerful example of the balloons popping that you're no longer this and you're no longer that. And, and he began to talk about, you know, these things that what you believe and, and who you are, it, it begins to come into action point, which is one of the reasons that Brent and I t- uh, chose to do in community groups this time about who we are as encounter and why those are our values and those are our mission and, and becoming action points. Um, It's easy to believe something, but it's hard to put those beliefs into action. And and so come to community groups, shameless plug. Um, As we continue this season, uh, we're we're getting there. It's some good stuff going on right now. Um, But really what Brent has been talking about is actually an overarching theme that that honestly, if we would take a step back, it it would put the puzzles into place. Um, I don't know if anybody knows this word I'm going to say, and I hope you do, um, uh, but I'll give you a definition. It, it, it's, he's been talking about your worldview. Anybody know that word? Worldview. Basically, it is simply our overall orientation in life. And what we assume to be real and what we assume to be valuable will govern our attitude and our actions, usually without thinking. It is our fundamental perspective on the world that shapes the way we live. It is the structure of our understanding, the way we look at life, the framework of beliefs and convictions. A worldview has so much culture-shaping influence because it's not merely a private perspective, but it's communal. Earth to heaven is not just about prayer, prayer. Though the catchphrase and, and it is like earth to heaven, right? It, it is about us, prayer. But see, prayer is just an action point that is above the ground, but we're talking about the root system here. See, it's about the relationship that we have with heaven. And that relationship is birthed by the very thing we've been talking about, our beliefs, our worldview, the actions and behaviors. Hear me when I say this, there is no greater war going on on the earth today than it is to shape your world view, the way that you see your life and the way that you see God. There's no greater war. There's no greater battle that goes on day to day in your everyday life than the way that you see and view things, especially God. Why is this? Why is this the greatest thing? It's because it's the one thing the devil knows, that if he can change the way that you view things, (laughs) you can't approach the kingdom of God rightly. You can't view God rightly. If we're shaped more by the culture of this world than by the kingdoms of heaven, we will always base our relationship with God on the way culture sees him and by worldly standards. It's no wonder that John writes in in 1 John chapter 2, 15 and 16. It says, do not love the world. You throw that up here for me. Do not love the world or anything of the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him for all the things. Here's the definition of the world. You ready for this? For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life is not from the Father, but it is from the world. The desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life. And the world is passing away along with these things or these desires. But whoever does, listen, whoever does the will of the Father abides forever. Abides forever. If we do not have heaven's view, get that word, if we do not have heaven's view, We will never see God rightly or understand what a relationship with Jesus is really about. We will continue to talk about the important things like prayer, the important things of reading scripture, why sitting at Jesus' feet is the, the good part. We will never understand these things about being a living sacrifice because we'll never be able to truly apply them rightly to our lives our pursuit will be one of cultural, listen, our pursuit will be one of cultural acceptance out of relevance rather than heavenly obedience. Our pursuit will be of cultural acceptance and relevance rather than heavenly obedience. Because it's impossible, listen, it's impossible to do the will of the Father without the transformation of our minds through heaven's, View. My scripture Romans twelve. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the what? Renewing, Renewing of your mind. Listen, the worldview that this culture that that the world wants to put into place is about taking control of this. Heaven's view. The transformation is the only thing that changed perspective from, I don't like reading, it's not my thing, to I got to get into the word because I need heaven's view. Versus, man, I can scroll on Facebook for hours and I can do all these things, but to pray 10 minutes, man, I just can't do it. It's like pulling teeth to get me on my knees because the pride of life is so great. When we don't have heaven's view, we will have a view. And the battle rages on. I hope you're getting this. Do you see why record numbers of believers are leaving the church? Culture says there is no God. And if there is a God, he should be placed in a box on a Sunday morning. Why are people leaving the church? Do you see why the church is plagued with consumerism? And a consumer mindset? We're the Burger King Church. Have it your way. Everything in your life is about what you want, what you think is right, what your rights are, and what everything that is good to you. It doesn't have to be good to Everest, but if it's good to you, it's okay. No wonder we're coming to the church and we're able to come in and say, man, I really didn't like what Josh said. I'm going to leave and continue the hashtag Mean Josh. Because it didn't do anything for me. And we can come in to worship and say, man, they don't do enough of the songs I like, so I can't worship there. We can say these things and we can do things like, I didn't get anything out of, I can't can't even say these words without laughing. I couldn't get anything out of the presence of God today. It didn't do anything for me. Why? Because culture says whatever you want, you should have. And anything you want to be, you should be. I'm sorry, but I understand the motivation behind that telling our kids that whatever you want to do, you can do in life. That's not what Scripture says. Scripture says that you should be obedient to what the Father says and that you should tell your kids that you should do anything in your life if the Father says do it. Too much of us is based on what we want, so we have our own worldview. Can you see why we're so selfish and so easily offended? In most circumstances place God last in importance, if not outright war against him. Have you not seen what is going on in our country right now? Do you not see that we routinely say what is Evil is good, and what is good is evil. The church routinely, I don't care what the world is saying, I'm saying the church routinely calls what is good evil and evil good. Why? Because their view isn't a heaven view. It's a world view. It's an Americanism view. It's in a constitution view, and we can't live that way because we'll have to change this to fit it. Do you not see the war that is raging around you? The things that are going on when you open up the news and all your stomach begins to turn. Your stomach turns because it's, no, we're not in the right place. It's not about your rights. It's about him and that your kingdom authority is. You don't need American rights when you have kingdom authority. We're going to push this to the side. Do you see why it's so easy to talk about prayer but never actually pray? And why it's we so easily car, uh, compartmentalize Sunday as church day and everything else as normal life. Why we never seem to bring God into every aspect of our. Do you see why this is? It's because our worldview puts it as so. Our worldview says church is my religion. Christianity is my belief system. It's a part of my life. Does all sound good, but it falls far below what we should be saying where Christianity is who I am. It's everything that I live. It's everything that I breathe. Jesus is all that I see and all that I want. And anything else is second. No, no, everything else falls way below on the list. So many times we see God, family, work, marriage. No, it's God and then everything else. Our worldview. See, we can't have heavenly results when we're using earthly or culturally driven means. Christianity, listen to this. Christianity is in a dangerous place because we have labored for too long to make it in our image instead of letting it transform us into His image. And Christianity isn't a way of life, it is life as we are created by the Creator to live. Christianity isn't something that's a part of you, it is you. Culture says it's a religion. I say it's not a religion, it's a way of life. It is your life. When you say yes to Jesus, you say no to everything else. You could have said yes to other things, and that's the war that rages, is that we continually struggle. We continually fight against our yeses, and what yes is prominent more today than yesterday. It's easy for me to come here and do this. If I'm honest with you, it's easy for me to stand up here and and, and go after, because the anointing in the presence of God is so strong right now. But it's about tomorrow morning when I wake up at 6, when I wake up at 5 a.m. And I'm like, oh, can I get down on my aching knees and give him the day when no one is looking, when no one sees me? Can I walk around my work continually praying for those around me and asking God to reveal what it is that I'm supposed to do today? If anything, And am I okay with just being obedient to God and not having to make it my own thing? When God says, don't do this, even if I love it, or culture says that it's not wrong, against the law, can I say that real quick? Just because the government says it's not against the law doesn't mean it's okay with God. I know we say, yeah, but listen to me. Just because government or the world Says it's okay, doesn't mean it's okay. You have a worldview, not a heaven's view. It may be good, but it may not be God. I was talking to a friend a few years back. Um, we had this uh, discussion um, we had a lot of friends who went to uh, organizations, Christian organizations, and I love a lot of these. Some of them aren't around anymore. Some of them are growing, and um, have you guys heard of like Teen Mania or Choir of the Fire um, or or International House of Prayer out of Kansas City or. Um, YWAM or, or these organizations. I had a lot of friends who went to these different organizations and one thing that was always common. Every time they left those organizations and was like inserted back in normal life, it's like they became the worst person I ever met. Like most of them fell into drinking. Most of them lost themselves. Most of them um, didn't. And they always said this, I don't know how to be out here What I was there. It doesn't feel the same. Have you ever gone to those that grew up, ever gone to youth camp and ever heard these words like I, I can't worship like I do at youth camp in normal service. And it, and it began to like, we had this discussion in it. And I, I said, you know what it sounds like to me? Is most of us treat these situations like, and I'll use my phone as an example, as a phone. When we're in these places, uh, like especially when we're in these long-term internships like at IHOP or, or at the time Teen Mania that doesn't exist anymore. And, and And they become kind of like, an operating system of our phone during life. And we live by this operating system during that time where we're praying with a bunch of other people that are praying and we get up early and we worship and we serve God daily with these people. But but really what it is is, is it becomes our operating system. But what happens when we come out of that is that our operating system changes. And, and, and at that time, we're trying to find where those things were at that place. And what we realize is that We've placed God in this category of being an application in our operating system. And when we get a new operating system, we have to download this this new app called God Again, and we got to figure out how it works on the new operating system. And and we go through this struggle, and I see this as that, well, the operating, the, the app of God, the app of Christianity doesn't work as well on this other operating system. And so I began to ponder this, and I was like, well, it's because We have the wrong operating system. God isn't supposed to be the app, he is the operating system. When God is an app, you can shut it off. When God is the app, you can do things like, oh, I don't feel like praying today, I'm just gonna swipe up. When God is an app, it's like, oh, reading, not today. When God is an app, worship is something you do in church services, not what you live daily. But when God is your operating system, your apps begin to develop around the operating system. So you have an app of prayer and an app of worship and an app of reading your word. And everything you do, everything you live, if your operating system is about God and who we are, it is living. And everything else, your job, your family, your marriage, everything else is just a part of the operating system. But we've spent our lives in this worldview of that religion and Christianity and God is just an app among our life and that it's really just a part of it. It's not everything encompassing of it and that we've lived for so long this way, we don't know how to have him be our operating system. If we truly have heaven's view, we would know that it is far less about earth to heaven, but instead a cry and a yearning for heaven to come to earth. If we do not have his word, if we do not have his presence, if we do not have the Holy Spirit, we are left without a connection to heaven and we cannot have heaven's view. We will be left as an empty shell of religion, or better stated, we will be a lamp without fire. Friends, beloved, Jesus is returning. (laughs) Jesus is returning and he's looking for his bride that looks like him. He's looking for the ones that are without spot or wrinkle. He's looking for the ones that are willing to lay down their life. Jesus routinely talked about this. Uh, Hey, can I just pause? That was my introduction. (laughs) Everybody's laughing, but it's true. Um, (laughs) But Jesus routinely talked about this. And he told his disciples, Prepare, be aware, uh, know the times and the hours, do not fall asleep, over and over again. And he would tell parables. And today's message is gonna be on one of these parables um, out of Matthew 25 and verse one. And many of you will know this parable if you've been in church long enough. This is the parable of the um, bridesmaids or virgins on the night before the wedding. And what I wanna do is I wanna read this scripture fully and then I wanna talk about some things with this. Verse one, let's read it. my now, well, I'll just... You can follow it up here. it's not going to be the same translation, but you'll get the gist. it'll be the similar. And it says in verse one, "Then the kingdom of heaven will be like 10 virgins who took their lamps and went to meet their bridegroom. Five of them were foolish, and five were wise, For when the foolish took their lamps, they took no oil with them, but the wise took flasks of oil with their lamps. As the bridegroom was delayed, they all became drowsy and slept. But at midnight, there was a cry, "'Here is the bridegroom. Come out and meet him.' And then all those virgins, all the virgins rose and trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said to the wise, "'Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out.' But the wise answered, saying, "'Since there will not be enough for us and for you, go rather to the dealers and buy for yourselves.' And while they were going to buy, the bridegroom came, and those who were ready went in with him to the marriage feast, and the door was shut. Afterward, the other virgins came, also saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But then he opened and answered, Truly I say to you, I do not know you. Watch, therefore, and know neither the day nor the hour. Stay ready. I'm going to go through three things real quick that I'm going to just Briefly touch on before I jump into the meat of this. The first thing is, the scripture says in verse two, five of them were foolish and five were wise. This was like the majority, like there was a fine line of foolish and wise, right? It wasn't like, oh, like one out of 10 was foolish. No, it was five were foolish and five were wise. Today, there are more than, some estimates say there are more, 10,000 different denominations, Some say 33,000, but others want to argue the point that there's not that many. I probably could believe it, but I'm going with the low number of Protestant denominations, 10,000. I know it's hard to comprehend that, but before 1900, there was like less than 50. So within a matter of 100 years, we went from about 50 different beliefs and different ideas, and we jumped it to 10,000. And what we began to do is separate ourselves and disconnect ourselves and begin to say they are evil. We began to fight against ourselves and and you look at yourself and you're like, man, no wonder we're messed up. Five of them, right? So it's pretty even about the dummies and the right ones, right? That's mean, don't say that. Verse 3, for when they took their lamps, they took no oil with them. But the wise took flasks of oil, verse 5, as far as the bridegroom, or as the bridegroom was delayed. Listen, so many times God is delayed in our life, and what we do, we begin to sleep on him. We begin to get drowsy, and we begin to forget who he is, and we begin to say that he's not faithful anymore. Because he's delayed, and he didn't come when we thought he should come. He didn't change our circumstance. He didn't change this he didn't heal this person. He didn't do this for me. He did not do this. He didn't do that. He was not faithful to me. He was delayed. And I begin to lose my belief. Well, maybe I don't believe in God anymore because he was delayed. But really, what Jesus is saying here, not that he was delayed, but if we had heaven's view, it switches it around, is that it says, Always be prepared, for you don't know when he's coming. The problem is, we think we know when he should come. It's not that he's delayed. He just didn't come when we wanted. We thought he should come. He knows when he's coming. and He's right on time. Verse six, but at the midnight hour, there was a cry. The darkest hour, the place of complete sleep and surrender, the place of dreams are birthed, he comes. He shows up and he begins to say, and he begins to call the virgins to come and prepare. Now, there is a lot of cultural and, and um, um, tradition stuff that Jesus is really talking about here. I'm not gonna go into that because it's not about this message, but I wanna talk about one of the uh, imageries. Now, I understand, don't come up to me and afterwards and say, Josh, that was just a parable. It didn't mean all these certain things. I, I get it, it was a parable he's telling us to stay, but there's some meat in here too that we can grab, and I want you to hear it because he talks about the oil. Can I go here a bit? He talks about this oil. This thing that, that the five wise ones would, would carry around. Inside my bag in the, the big parches, is a humongous charger. Can you bring that to me? Um, and he begins to talk about, they begin to talk about the oil. See, the oil in the Old Testament is frequently used as a symbol of the spirit or presence of God. Kings and priests were anointed with oil as signs of their consecrated lives. In Zechariah 4, 6, uh, the prophet Zechariah was shown a vision of the great golden lampstands with two olive trees standing beside it. And the trees were dripped with oil and they would drip into the bowls of the lampstand. And Zechariah was told, not by might nor by power, but by the Spirit, says the Lord. The oil represents the presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives. It's the oil that keeps the fire burning in those darkest hours. One thing that's mentioned, you can bring it up, just just the case. I I don't need the cord. It's mentioned that the oil is to be purchased. right? So so the people who have it, it's kind of like this. I have this humongous cell phone charger thing. And it is the most uncomfortable thing to just, like, carry with me. And then, like, if you're at Disneyland or something like that, and you don't want your phone to go dead, and you're like, well, get a smaller one. But this one, this has so much power and juice in it, I can charge my phone ten times with it. And and so if I just carry this around, it's very uncomfortable. It's not uh, uh, convenient. And it's like all the things that you would not want with you when you're trying to walk around for hours is really right here. You don't want to have, have this heavy thing with you. But if I have it with me and my phone dies or I have it, I have enough juice here to get me to my destination. These wise virgins had a flask of oil. Not fun to carry around. Especially they didn't have pockets like I do. They don't have purses. They carried the flask of oil like this. Everywhere they went, they had this flask of oil. And when the time came, now one thing you gotta see here too is this says that both, when it was delayed, fell asleep. The oil doesn't mean that you won't fall asleep. It means you're prepared for when you have to wake up. It mentioned oil in this needs to be purchased, which means that there is a price to be paid to obtain the oil. It indicates that the oil is not something that can be borrowed or loaned, and it is an individual matter of each one. I can't give you the oil. Listen to what I'm saying. I can't give it to you. You can't borrow it from me. It says that there's a price to be paid. And when the midnight hour comes, good luck finding someone that's going to sell it. 1 Chronicles verse 21-24 speaks about this price thing. When David gets up and says this in verse 24, King David answered Ornan, No, I insist on paying the full price for I will not take for the Lord what belongs to you or offer burnt offerings that cost me nothing. Too many of us want to give something to God that we didn't pay a price for. Too many of us are okay getting up on Sunday mornings to come here and that's our price. That's what cost us something. Two hours on a Sunday morning. Too many times we're okay with it not costing us anything. But there has to be a moment in time where you gotta realize if you grab heaven's view that if it doesn't cost you everything it's not enough. I know it's not really an amen statement but Hear what I said. There has to be a moment that you get heaven's view. And that when you realize it's going to cost you everything. And even then you're like, man, I still don't have enough. But you give it anyways. David understood that if it cost him nothing, it was no worth to have a continual presence of God in our life, we are to pay a price by spending time at the feet of Jesus, choosing the one thing, the better portion. I don't know if that sounds familiar to anybody. I find it so odd that scripture says that being at the feet of Jesus is the better part, and yet we never choose it. We're always defaulted to martha especially as ministers we default to doing ministry cleaning the house and preparing and and and, and making sure that that We've said hello to somebody today. We we make sure that we're nice to somebody and that we make them feel welcome. or, Or, and I'm not saying those are bad, but listen to what I'm saying. We make sure that everything is done and in order. And yet we forget that there's a position of our heart and a position of ourselves at the feet of Jesus that he calls the better part. It wasn't even Paul that said it. Jesus himself said, she chose the better part. And guess what he then says? And I will not take that from her. Why is it that we do the same things over and over and over and over and over again and we get in this routine? It's because we choose the easy part, not the better part. You're like, well, that doesn't sound easy. It is because you can do things and never be fully engaged. You can do things that never change your life. You can be a Christian and never carry the oil. You can carry the lamp and and the thing is is at some point, their lamps were lit. at some point, their lamps were lit, but they didn't think they needed the oil because you know they chose the easy carry. I'm just going to carry the lamp. I'm just going to carry the lamp. That price is everything, and obviously. Like I said, it was an adequate supply. They didn't have an adequate supply of oil. And the foolish maidens were, uh, were met with these words that you've heard me preach on so many times. That when they came after they finally found someone that, that is willing to let them sell the oil, they were able to actually begin at, you know at this midnight hour. Don't wait for the midnight hour to get on your face. Please, I beg you. Don't wait for the midnight hour to start reading your word and praying. Don't wait. I beg you. Jesus says these words and you know them because I say this all the time. It says, I do not know you, Matthew 7 Verses 21-23 says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Verse 22, and on that day many will say to me, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do mighty works in your name? And I will declare to them, I never knew you. I don't care what your ministry looks like. I don't care what things you're doing for God. If you don't know him, you have Nothing. I don't care that you can come here every Sunday morning and you can put your hands on somebody and demons flee. If you don't know him, you're the one that's in trouble, not them. This is not something that is just about a communal thing that if you come to church just by you being here, it's okay. This is an individual heart thing. This is an individual carrying the oil thing. This is an individual I need the presence every day thing. Much of the church has found itself in a state of complacency in regards to this presence that we so long and talk about, the presence of God. And it's to the point where we're okay if his presence doesn't even show up and I'm tired of it. I would rather stay here for six hours and wait on the presence of God until he comes than just be like, eh, oh well, we'll try again next time. We're okay going through an entire day or an entire week or an entire month or even years without the presence of God. And we call that honestly, we call this normal. This is our worldview. Culture calls this normal. Separate the church and the state. Separate the church and everyday life. Separate Christianity and who you really are. Sunday after Sunday, we come into church, and, and we are content with having good services without his presence. That's the norm. Not every church. Can I take a pause here? Not every church, but I say this because it provokes individuals, and it provokes me to understand where am I at right now? Am I more focused on what my fantasy team is doing right now? Or am I more focused on, man, i got to get the presence of God. The Bobby D. statement, if he doesn't come, if this isn't like a groan in my spirit of, if he doesn't come, then then I don't know what to do if he doesn't come. But our culture says, if he doesn't come, have a backup plan. You better have a sermon ready, you better have worship songs ready, and you better have two hours of content, otherwise you're going to have people start leaving. That's the norm. That's best practice. That's what we're taught to do when we're pastoring a church. (laughs) If God doesn't show up, have a backup. Are you kidding me? If God doesn't show up, we might as well go home. Like, really? And and I feel it really inside myself is if God doesn't show up every day of my life then I'm a zombie just walking around just repeating what everybody's saying, you know? I might as well just have the news on every day and just repeat what the news tells me to say because that's better than just not saying anything. Or is it? What are we here for if not him? Where's the cry of his people? I don't want to do this without him. I don't want this Christian life void of his presence, void of this oil. I don't want to go through the motions and ceremonies if he isn't here. Man, it's impossible to be, listen, we love this scripture, but I'm telling you right now, it's impossible to be the light of the world, the city on a hill, if we do not have oil for that light. Uh, (laughs) I know this isn't an amen statement, but hear what I'm saying. We cannot be the light to the world, a city on a hill that Jesus says, hey, you need to be the light of the world. You need to be a city on a hill so that everybody sees. If we don't have oil for the lights to burn, only the presence of God in our life can keep the fire burning, and it burns day and night. There isn't these low points and high points of his presence if you have it. Maybe there's times in your life where like, you have to try a little harder because everything around you is not going the way you want it to. Your marriage stinks because your husband doesn't do everything he wants you to do or your wife doesn't ever do what you want her to do. But again, where's the oil of his presence? What sustains you during those times, most of it is you just argue instead of going to the presence of Jesus at his feet and allowing God to deal with them instead of you trying to take control. such a person who has the fire burning in him at the time of the bridegroom's return, guess what gets to go in with him? See, this isn't an elective. You don't get to choose. Is the presence of God necessary or not? Do I just come to church and then I'm good? It actually says you don't get a choice. You either have the oil or you don't. And if you don't have the oil, you don't go in. I know the grace and mercy of God is great. The grace and mercy of God is that He provides you the oil. (laughs) It's not that He's like, oh, you didn't do it, so I'm going to let you in. No, it's like, I gave you every opportunity to do it, I provided the oil to you. We have a part, we have a place to pay, we have a piece to play in the story. We have action. Smith Wigglesworth says this, and I say this all the time. You may have heard me say this a million times, but I, I may sound like a broken record, but hear what I'm saying. This is our heart, if we can grasp it. He says, when I catch the first breath of the Spirit, I leave everything and everyone to be in His presence, to hear what He has to say to me. When was the last time that was your cry? Or was it because your house was full of people that you just let the voice go? Or that your favorite TV show or football game or baseball game or Friday night movie or protest or America's going to hell in a handbasket and have to be glued to the news or I could go on. Where is, your, where is the view? Is it a world view or is it a heaven's view? There's so much at stake And there's not an urgency. 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 He's coming. He will return. There needs to be an urgency. There needs to be an urgency. We get heaven's view only when we have oil for the lamp so we can see. Did you get that? You only have heaven's view when you have enough oil for the light to show you the way. We get heaven's view when fire continues to burn. This is our call we have been going after this guys this isn't something that that is new i don't m- most of you don't come to our our pre-service what we call rallies but man this is this is i'm a broken record up here but it's just my heart and my passion that if i can get one of you guys to just Get the urgency of his presence. To get the urgency of choosing the better part. To get the urgency, you will begin to see that those things that are in your life right now that are overwhelming you become less than because the urgency of the hour is his presence. Not Your finances and not your healings and not your sin and not the 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 woes of this world and not all these other things. Because when you don't have heaven's view, all of that becomes overwhelming. But as soon as you can grab heaven's view and you begin to see the things through the spirit of God, you begin to see that my God has everything in hand. He has all the provision I need. He has everything laid out for me and my position is at his feet. I asked the worship team to come and join me as I close. And I'm going to show something to you because when I read this, literally my entire body just like freaked out. I know that's weird, but I hope you grab this. When Brent first did this message, he read a scripture in 2 Kings verse 4. Chapter 4, sorry, verse 1. And it was about Elisha and the widow. And I'm not going to read the scripture fully to you, but in verse 2, when the widow asked Elisha to come in, he says this. He goes, Elijah asked her in verse 2, what can I do for you? Tell me, what do you have in the house? And this, guys, this is what she says. She says, your servant has nothing in my house except a jar of oil. No, 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 no. You don't understand. She said, the only thing I have in my house is the very presence of God. And it's the very presence of God that will multiply the problems in your life to go away. It's the very presence of God, the oil that will begin to change the circumstances. It's the very presence of God, the oil that multiplies. He said, then Elisha told her to go grab all the jars that you can get from your neighbors. Go into your house. Lock the door You can't have the oil unless you lock the door and you begin to get developed. This is not a Sunday morning thing. This is an everyday thing where you are grinding through this saying, God, I need you on Monday. I need you on Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday and Friday. I can't survive unless I have your oil. This can't be a a once-in-a-while thing, an only Sunday morning thing, an only-at-church thing. This is a survival thing. We have to go in and shut the door, pay the price, become a living sacrifice, get the oil, and let it burn. If you were in a... Go ahead and stand with me. If you were in our... Pre-service rally, I think it was last week, I shared this with you. But I want to share this again because it really paints the picture. I was talking with Charlie two weeks ago. And Zach and Charlie are on a much-needed trip with their son for his birthday. And uh, we miss them. We love them. And, but I was having this conversation. And she would always say, you know, I have a problem just, you know, putting on the word. Like if you know on your Bible apps where it just plays the word. I can't just listen to it or 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 just sit down and read it because it just starts like speaking to me and I and then I begin to spend hours of having to research this word and that word and she began I just can't and we had this discussion and she goes but then the spirit of God spoke to me and he says you know the reason why it always happens is because your spirit is so dry that every time it gets a just an ounce of the spirit, it begins to leap with excitement and it can't contain it. Because it's not a normal diet for your life, because it's not a normal thing, all you ever do when you get around it is get emotionally excited. And then when that emotion goes away, so does that. Does that make sense? See, when this isn't a part of your life, when you come to church services or you go to conferences or youth camps, you feel it. You get it. It becomes a part of you and you can you can do you're like, you leave camp but man, I'm going to read every day. I'm going to pray for hours every day. I I'm going to go and talk to somebody on the street every single day. And then that Monday comes around and you wake up and you're like, huh, the same thing. Two things is that that weekend was just an app. It's never your operating system. And the second thing is, is because we are so used to being depleted of the nutrients of his spirit, that that's the norm. And it's not gonna be until the church realizes that that can no longer be our norm. That has to be our reality day in and day out to where we understand that if I don't read, it's weird. If I don't have communication with God, that's weird. When I come to Sunday morning, A church and nothing happens, that is weird. When people around me don't get healed, that is weird. When I don't have a light to shine for the people that are in darkness around me, that is weird. When I'm okay, Just to get by and stay miserable. That's weird. And it's time for us to realize that's weird. Not the presence of God. That should be our norm. We have to have heaven's view. And we got to understand that this war will continue to rage. Unless a person stands up and says no. I need heaven's view. Smith Wigglesworth was so in tune with this that he would never even let a newspaper into his house because it could change his mindset and perception of what God is speaking. Uh, I don't know about you guys, but we are so emotionally driven that it's so easy for us to get caught up in the things around us. But until you understand that your emotions are just a benefit of being in the presence of God, not the end game, it will always be weird for that to be your lifestyle. And you'll never understood that you can actually go in the prayer closet and not feel a thing, and that's normal, and that's okay, and that's worth it. It's that's the price, because at some point you will begin to feel on a normal level of his presence. Man, there's such a sweet presence. (laughs) I am not okay anymore saying that those things are normal. That's weird. We have to be willing to go And get the oil. We can't do this without the oil. It is the place of his presence. Tarry with me for a few moments in his presence. Leaving everything at his feet. Leaving your desires and your wants and your consumer mentality and the world view of what it says this looks like and what it's weird. Listen, nobody is looking at you. Nobody cares what you're doing. Except you. I invite people Sunday after Sunday to come to the altars for worship. And too many of us are afraid of what we look like. And I dare say this, that if standing still in worship with your eyes open, looking like you're bored, you are the weird one. He's so worth more than that. He's so worth more than that. That's why it's not about church. It's not what people think. It's not about being offended. It's not about your way. It's about him. And if you get so offended easily, watch it because you could get offended at him. And he said, blessed are those who are not offended at me. We can no longer worry about what culture says, about what the world says, about what our peers say. In regards to this thing, if they take you away from his presence, it's probably not okay. Yeah, it sounds radical. Yeah, it sounds crazy. Actually, it sounds like what Jesus told his disciples over and over and over again. Jesus was so bold to say that if you actually turn around to go say goodbye to your family you're not worth following me. I didn't say that. Jesus said that. Not me. You can't get offended at me. Sometimes we place this life that we call Christianity at such a low bar and yet we use it to argue everything else in life. Like When things begin to shake around us and the foundations, we get so angry, right? Like prayer being taken out of school, we just get angry at it. We're not understanding that this is actually a spiritual battle, that if we would begin to get on our knees and contend for the presence of God, that's the battle. Not getting mad and yelling at people's faces. I could go on. We're going to leave it alone. Lift up your hands with me. The authors are open. Our prayer team is here. If you are struggling understanding that your worldview needs to change, I'm calling for a time of repentance because only through the place of repentance can our minds be transformed. For the word repent means to transform, to change. And he says to repent and then turn. We cannot turn and go in the way of heaven's view until this is changed. And it's only changes when we're willing to repent and cry out, mercy, have mercy, have mercy on me, son of David. Do you know why so many in the altar were able to get healed? It's because they were willing to get on the mercy seat and cry out, son of David, have mercy on me. Not, uh, I'll go up to the altar and if I get healed, if I get, eh. Have mercy. The altars are open. Our prayer teams are up here. It's time that we choose the better part. If you're getting baptized, we're having baptisms today? Come on, Jesus. If you're getting baptized, meet Casey out in the foyer. There's no greater day to get baptized than today no greater day how amazing is that i didn't even know i was as you saw i was shocked but while we're waiting and getting ready for baptisms the altar is open come lay it at his feet begin to say jesus i need you not just right now but i need this to be ingrained i need a little oil today And if you need prayer, because there are situations in your life, it's okay to get prayer for those things. And you have people that are willing to stand with you to get the oil. They can't give you their oil, but they sure can show you how to get some yourself. Can we just worship him for a little bit?